everybody. Welcome to Moderate Party, a political podcast for moderate centrists and independents. I'm your host, Hillary Lombard, and I have got a spicy episode for you guys today. I'm not going to lie. We're going to talk about the news. We are going to dive into the recent bipartisan legislation that's been passing, work through some hate mail, and then dive into this question about what it means to be a moderate. And along the way, I'm just going to tell you straight up, I'm going to swear a lot. So if you're listening in the car with your kids, if you are that group of teachers that listen to this show in Virginia, or if you just have delicate ears and sensibilities, this may not be the one for you. I'm going to be honest, maybe just skip this one and I'll see you next Thursday. But if you like profanity, strap in, guys, because you're going to hear a lot of it. I'm Hillary Lombard, and this is Moderate Party. Let's get started. Politics can be a bit of a bummer. Anybody that reads the news can tell you that. I'm sure if you listen to this podcast, you definitely know it because I have a particularly bad habit of talking about deeply depressing things. Which is why today I want to take a minute and talk about this particularly positive period in politics. That was a lot of peas all in a row. To celebrate this rare moment of sunshine on a cloudy day, I have updated my soundboard to include an announcer guy doing some incredible words of affirmation. So get ready. First, gas prices continue to fall for the seventh straight week in a row. Incredible. There he is. All right, next up, unemployment hit 3.5% in the July jobs report. Perfect. The U.S. added a booming 528,000 jobs in July, which is a pretty big deal because analysts like Goldman Sachs predicted that the jobs report was going to be pretty damning, but it wasn't. The job report showed us that the labor market has now recovered all 22 million jobs that were lost during the COVID pandemic. That's amazing. Next up, we have the killing of Ayman al-Zawahiri. He was killed in a U.S. strike in Afghanistan. If you don't remember, Zawahiri was the mastermind behind the sinking of the USS Cole in 2000. He played a key role in the bombing of U.S. embassies, and he was second in command to Osama bin Laden during the 9-11 attacks. He also took over as the leader of al-Qaeda after U.S. forces killed bin Laden in Pakistan. In that role, al-Zawahiri continued to call for attacks against the U.S. and its allies. Now, I love announcer guy, you love announcer guy, but it feels a bit uh, crass or craven to play a clip of the announcer guy yelling congratulations after I just announced that a person, albeit a terrorist, was killed. I really want to go with something a little bit more appropriate, so I suppose for this one, I'll, I'll just play this. America, fuck yeah! What you gonna do when we come for you now? <laughs> I'm so sorry, that's terrible. Back to the news. As I said, this week, Zawahiri was killed in a drone strike, and Biden went full Liam Neeson announcing the news. We, we make it clear again tonight that no matter how long it takes, no matter where you hide, if you are a threat to our people, the United States will find you and, and I will kill you. Yeah, I hear no difference in those two clips. And that's the tone that I want the president to have towards anybody that would seek to do citizens of our country harm. I want the full Liam Neeson. Let's go, Brandon. You did it. You may know Alex Jones as the crazy man screaming on TV or the guy that said that there are chemicals in the water that are turning frogs gay. The guy that said that Robert Mueller is a demon and a pedophile. Or the guy that said that Hillary Clinton is running a child sex ring out of a pizza parlor, which led to the Pizzagate shooting in which somebody that watched Alex Jones's show fired multiple rounds into a D.C. pizzeria. He also infamously claimed that the deadliest school shooting in U.S. history, the Sandy Hook shooting, was a hoax. He even made a video called The Sandy Hook Vampires that specifically targeted the parents and families of the children that died in that shooting. 
Thankfully, today you can also know Alex Jones as the man ordered to pay $49.3 million in damages to the parents of the Sandy Hook victims. That's amazing! This is the first of three total defamation cases. So he's likely to pay a lot more. But it's not just the fact that an asshole that would bully parents of dead kids is being slapped in the face with a $49.3 million penalty. It's also that the trial has been just short of incredible. Not only did Jones have to admit that the Sandy Hook shooting was real, which is vindicating it itself, we also got these gems. Is that the phone room? Yes. So you did get my text messages. Instead, you did Nice trick. The person that you're about to hear laugh with a devilish glee is the attorney for the Sandy Hook families. <laughs> yes, Mr. Jones. Oh. Indeed. You didn't give this text message to me. You don't, you don't know where this came from. Do you know where I got this? No. Your attorney's messed up and sent me an entire digital copy of your entire cell phone with every text message you've sent for the past two years and when informed did not take any steps to identify it as privileged or protected in any way. Yeah, so you know that your lawyer hates you when they send a full copy of your cell phone to the other side's attorney after you've been claiming that you can't supply that information because you don't have it. But that's just the start of it. Check out this clip of a judge that has had just about enough of this shit talking to Alex Jones. You believe everything you say is true, but it isn't. Your beliefs do not make something true. That is, that is what we're doing here. Just because you claim to think something is true does not make it true. It does not protect you. It is not allowed. You are under oath. That means things must actually be true when you say them. Don't Wow. You're already under oath to tell the truth. You've already violated that oath twice today in just those two examples. It seems absurd to instruct you again that you must tell the truth while you testify yet here i am here she is incredible and if you're like wow hillary that's a lot of good news don't worry guys i'm just getting started we are in the midst of a strangely bipartisan moment for congress this week congress passed the chips act which is a bill that will provide funding for the research development and fabrication of semiconductors if you're not familiar, semiconductors are in pretty much everything. I mean, they're in hypersonic missiles and they're in your dishwasher. Currently, East Asia produces 80% of the semiconductor chips, and the U.S. economy barely clocks in at 12%. We are entirely dependent on China for a critical piece of economic infrastructure. The CHIPS Act is looking to change that, to make us more self-reliant, less dependent on China, and to bring some manufacturing jobs back to the United States. This is exciting. I'm a fan of any research and development bills that get passed. Honestly, I think that science and technology is something that we should be investing in at a much more rapid rate than we are. And this is definitely a step in the right direction. Perfect! The U.S. Senate, in a bipartisan 86 to 11 vote, also approved the PACT Act, which is really hard to say and I don't recommend it. But here I go. So the PACT Act is a measure that will provide health care and benefits for millions of veterans that have been injured by exposure to toxins from Agent Orange in Vietnam to the burn pits in, in Iraq and Afghanistan. And this one was a bit of a squeaker. When it was first introduced, it passed the Senate with an 84 to 14 vote. But it had to go back to the House and it passed with minor changes. So when it came back to the Senate, it was really surprising that Republicans voted it down. 
They voted it down because they felt that Chuck Schumer and Joe Manchin had played them for fools on the Infrastructure Reduction Act. They were retaliating. And we know that it was retaliation because 25 of the 41 Senate Republicans that voted no had voted yes just a month before. So Senate Republicans vote no and the bill is doomed. And then John Stewart, the former host of The Daily Show and current hermit that only leaves his house to defend veterans and 9-11 first responders, went nuclear. Here he is talking outside the Senate immediately after they vote down the PACT Act. They lived up to their oath. And yesterday, they spit on it in abject cruelty. These people thought they could finally breathe. You think their struggles end because the PACT Act passes? All it means is they don't have to decide between their cancer drugs and their house. Their struggle continues. And now they say, well, this will get done maybe in the, uh, after we get back from our summer recess, maybe during the lame duck, because they're on Senate time. Do you understand? You live around here. Senate time is ridiculous. These live to 200. They're tortoises. They live forever and they never lose their jobs and they never lose their benefits and they never lose all those things. Well, they're not on Senate time. They're on human time, cancer time. From what I understand, you're not allowed to just leave your post when the mission isn't completed. Apparently you take an oath, you swear an oath and you can't leave. But these folks can leave because they're on Senate time. Go ahead, go home, spend time with your families because these people can't do it anymore. So they can't leave until this gets done. Because these people will not give up, they will not give in, and they will not relent. This is an embarrassment to the Senate, to the country, to the founders, and all that they profess to hold dear. And if this is America first, then America is After that clip goes viral, public opinion really turns on the Republicans that voted against the bill. And it should. Because veterans' health care isn't something that we can isn't something that we mess around with. They make an oath to protect and to defend us. The absolute least we can do is to protect and defend them when they come home, especially, especially if the injuries that they're facing, they got while they were protecting and defending us. But John Stewart said it better than I ever could. So that clip gets out and Republicans correct. And they vote for that bill. It passes 86 to 11. Another piece of critically important bipartisan legislation. And I could have skipped all of the drama in the middle and just told you that we passed another big piece of bipartisan legislation. But I think that the story is important because in today's news cycle, it's really easy to feel powerless in the situation. To think that no matter how mad something makes you, there's nothing that you can do about it. That people cannot be reasoned with, that they don't care if you're upset or that no amount of protest makes a difference. And this story is important because public opinion changed their mind. The public changed their mind. Jon Stewart changed the public's mind, and we changed their mind. And then we got this very worthwhile bill passed. And I think it is just a perfect example of democracy working the way that it should, and a good reminder that your voice matters and that it makes a difference you can hold people accountable for how they vote. They represent you. And this story shows that. 
So as far as I'm concerned, it is in the good news bucket. That's amazing. Last week, there was a referendum on abortion rights in Kansas. And this is the first time that we have actually seen abortion on the ballot since the Dobbs decision was released. So it was a real nail biter. And the first test of how galvanizing the issue of abortion can be. And I'll be honest with you, like, I was very nervous about it because the vote was going to be held in Kansas, which is a deeply red state with deep ties to the anti-abortion movement. And it was deliberately and strategically scheduled during the primary of a midterm when the expectation was that Republicans would be the only group turning out. And that they would vote to amend the Kansas Constitution to remove protections for abortion. And they were wrong. Kansas voted overwhelmingly to protect the right to abortion in their state. Let freedom the vote was not even close. It was 59 to 41. The majority of people in every county in Kansas voted to protect abortion rights. Turnout was off the charts. 160,000 independent voters came out to vote on this issue. And keep in mind, they couldn't vote on anything else. Because Kansas has closed primaries, so they can't vote who the Republican nominee is going to be. They can't vote for who their Democratic nominee should be. They could literally only vote on this issue, and they came out anyway. Let freedom so this is actually an excellent segue away from our good news portion of the episode and kind of into a tense topic that I want to talk to you guys about. In the fallout of the Dobbs ruling on abortion, I recorded a deeply personal and emotional episode. Um, I did so knowing that this was a contentious topic, and I did my best to proceed respectfully through the argument, knowing that some of you would disagree with me. I tried to be very respectful um, and assume that you were coming to that issue sincerely. And I asked you to do the same for me, to hear me out and to assume that I'm coming at this sincerely and to give me the benefit of the doubt. I've never received so much feedback on an episode, let alone negative feedback. And I just wanted to kind of address that with you guys now. Since I took the respectful high route in the Dobbs episode, I will not be taking that route today. So to the 36 people that sent me emails containing photos of dead and aborted babies. To the 111 people that sent me an email containing the words baby killer. Fuck you. Fuck the three of you. You don't fuck you. Fuck you. Fuck all of you. Fuck you, cowboy. Fuck all you assholes. Well, fuck you. Fuck you. Fuck you if you can't understand me. Fuck you and the horse you rode in on. And most specifically to you, R. Willits64403 at ProtonMail.com, who sent me 17 emails in which he called me a profanity-laced disgrace, a sodomy advocate, which was wild said that I hate Jesus Christ and I'm in league with the devil, and sent me a bunch of these weird, vaguely threatening Bible verses, in addition to photos of abortions and baby parts, I would like to personally say, fuck you. Fuck you very, very much. And in case that's not musical enough to match the tone of this episode, allow me to elaborate by saying, Fuck you and your mom and your sister and your job and everybody but your dog you can fuck That really is an amazing song. Just, I mean, for everybody that is not R. Willits at ProtonMail.com. It's by Gail. It's called A-B-C-D-E-F-U. And that's beautiful. Uh, you guys really should check it out. But in all seriousness, I was really shocked and taken aback at that response. And maybe that was naive. Um, 
especially from a group that up to this point has been incredibly thoughtful, considerate, and contemplative in their responses. Um, I do want to be very clear that I won't be scared off of my own show, right? Like, I mean, you don't have a podcast because you don't want to share your opinions. Um, I do think that access to abortion and decisions that are made about your own body are an issue of women's liberty, about freedom, the freedom to choose, which includes the freedom to choose not to have an abortion. I believe that. And I'm going to say it on this show because I believe it and because it would be dishonest not to say it. So that's the last that I'm going to say in this episode about that particular argument. But I do want to talk about a critique that I got from some of you um, that I think had a little bit more merit or, and warranted discussion. I received a lot of messages, both on social media or in my inbox, that was some version of, I thought this was a moderate podcast. Why are you taking a stance on such a polarizing issue? Or why are you blatantly favoring one side over the other? I really do believe that this group was engaging in good faith, so I want to do the same. This critique has been living rent-free in my head since I got it. Uh, especially after I released that last episode with David Pepper, who slammed the GOP for their extremism. I got another round of, I thought this was a moderate podcast messages, and the question at the root of that statement, I think, is the focus of today's episode. What is a moderate? And what does it mean to be moderate? I'm a moderate Democrat and I'm here for my beating. Moderate is not a stance. It's just an attitude toward life of like... <laughs> a new poll out shows that some of the most popular politicians in America are moderates. What happened to moderate Republicans? What happened to them? Yes. Moderates, meh. We just need to go to the extreme ends of things. Well, no. They never want to admit that they do anything wrong. I took personal offense to this because you guys all know this. I'm not an ideologue. I'm a moderate. And if anything, I would look at the biggest moments in our country's history. And it, how did we get there? It was compromise. It was being able, it was able to listen to each other, right? I'm not an ideologue because I don't look at the red lane and the blue lane and have to fit right. extremely okay. one or the other. I, I would say I'm more nuanced. Uh -huh. The Democratic primaries are testing the power of the moderate and progressive wings of that party. I'm a moderate Democrat. I have a problem. I've been having thoughts that are only kind of progressive, but not dramatically progressive. So I've come to confess my twisted thoughts and receive my punishment for being a moderate. So today, we're going to talk about the dangers of being a moderate. Moderates will be the death of this country. Jesus Christ, Duck Dynasty, tell me how you really feel. When we talk about moderates, I don't think that there is one set of policies that will appeal to every group of moderates. I don't think that moderates as a group are as binary as liberals or conservatives can be. Being a moderate, it's more about how you think you should approach problem solving or how much you value solving a problem versus arguing about a problem and even how much you value people that disagree with you. Because think about the fact that you can have a moderate Democrat, a moderate Republican, a moderate Libertarian. I mean, you can probably even find a moderate member of the Green Party. The reason that all of those groups can exist and still be moderate is because you're applying a methodology to an ideology. I think moderates tend to see value on both sides of an issue, which is why they tend to value compromise so much. Naturally, or so much. When you think that both sides of an issue hold some piece of the truth, it's easier to compromise or to think that the better solution is the one that you come up with together, not the one that you develop on your own. 
I think that from my experience talking to you guys, I, I'm also pretty confident in saying that moderates tend to believe that people that don't agree with them still have value and could be right. Moderates are usually persuadable. And I, I know that it sounds a little bit intense to say that staunch liberals or staunch conservatives don't think people that disagree with them have value. Maybe they do, but I don't think that they act like they do. And maybe that's the difference. I think that moderates are more inclined to hear you out, to seek out a different opinion or listen to it when it is presented. Moderates are usually persuadable. And a lot of that comes down to a fundamental belief that complex problems have complex solutions. Consider the issue of immigration. Third Way is a center-left think tank. And they published a report called The State of the Center. It's all about the policy preferences of moderates. And it's all about moderates. They did a big poll and they dropped a bunch of data. And when you look at the immigration issue, moderates overwhelmingly believe that undocumented immigrants are hardworking people that are just trying to care for their families. It's 84% believe that. And that's not crazy. I mean, 93% of liberals share that belief and 72% of conservatives do. But where it differs is that moderates are deeply torn on the question of whether or not granting citizenship to undocumented immigrants would reward them for crossing the border illegally. 47% of moderates agree compared to 50% who disagree. Conservatives are not torn. They overwhelmingly believe that granting citizenship to undocumented immigrants rewards bad behavior. And liberals adopt the opposite view. So what I take from that is that moderates are looking at a complex problem and they know that the solution is going to be equally complex. And that's why they're divided, because they see value on both sides of that argument. They're sympathetic to und undocumented immigrants and believe that they're good people. But they also worry about encouraging lawlessness and maintaining security at the border. So you know what they want. They're looking for comprehensive immigration reform that is tough, fair, and practical. When you think about moderates, one of the first things that comes to mind is this idea of being in the middle. And I think that we too often think about moderates being in the middle ideologically and don't spend enough time thinking about moderates being in the middle economically. Moderates tend to be in the middle class, sometimes on the lower end, which is why they tend to favor candidates and policies that they believe will drive economic growth, but also tend to be more socially liberal. There are a lot of critiques that you will hear about moderates. We tend to be the fav a favorite target of both sides of the ideological spectrum. The problem with being in the middle is you can get shot from both sides. Um, but the critique is basically that moderates are wishy-washy that they don't really have any principles, that they're more concerned with being in the middle and compromising than doing what is right. Kind of like um, somebody that would go into an ice cream parlor and get vanilla because they're overwhelmed by the idea of other flavors, because they're overwhelmed by the idea of having to pick a flavor. And that just is not the moderate that I've experienced. It's not the moderate that I am. And the moderates that I know, the... I mean, you guys, the listeners that I talk to, I see that reflected in you as well. The people that would lob that critique at moderates confuse principles with ideology. I think moderates have principles, strong principles, strong moral convictions. But I think that they tend to be naturally skeptical of choices they view 
as overly ideological or partisan or extreme. I know that for me personally, I'm very skeptical of people that are really righteous in their convictions. Like if you think that you 100 percent, that you understand an issue 100 percent, you're likely to be full of shit. At least that's my view, right? Um, AOC described moderates as, eh, I don't think anybody would ever describe me as, eh, at least I hope not. Wishy-washy, maybe, but there are worse things to be. I mean, look at what polarization and partisanship has gotten us. America more divided than it's been since the Civil War. Maybe we need a little bit more wishy-washy, honestly. Maybe we need more persuadable people. I, I don't think that moderates have to always be in the middle. Maybe that would be more of a centrist. But I think that if you're a moderate, yeah, sometimes you're going to be in the middle, right? Because you think that both sides hold a piece of the truth. But sometimes I think that being a moderate means that you hold a multitude of political views that cannot easily be ascribed to one side or the other, which makes you sympathetic to both. As an example, for me personally, I do believe that the Constitution guarantees the right to bear arms. I don't think that that's only referring to hunting the right to bear arms, you bear them in self-defense. I think that in America, you have a right to use a gun for self-defense and home protection. And I would even go so far as to say that you don't necessarily have to believe in those things. Like, you don't have to want a gun for yourself or want to be a hunter to know that those are written in the Constitution and therefore they need to be protected. That is a right guaranteed to a citizen of this country. However, I also believe in the right to go to school, a movie theater, a parade, or a public event without having to fear that you could be gunned down by the same weapon that we would give our soldiers to fight for our freedom overseas. So I, I do support things like an assault weapons ban, expanded background checks, common sense gun reform. I can hold both of these beliefs in my head at the same time. I think when you look at people on the far left or the far right, it's like they don't think that you can hold two things in your head at the same time. And I just, I you know, I believe that we can do more than that. One of the other critiques that I saw online that I, I took particular umbrage with was a, uh, a video that was basically saying that moderates only help extremists. And the example that they gave was basically the issue of slavery. If you, if you think about that issue, on one side of it, you have abolitionists. And on the other side of it, you have slave owners. The person that was lobbing the critique said that the moderate position would not be no slaves or slaves. It would be some slaves. And I just, I think it makes sense that that's the example that somebody would use to critique moderates. Because it's such an extreme example, it could only come from a more ideologically extreme individual, you know? It also assumes that moderates have no moral autonomy or respect for human life. And if it, you know, if it needs to be said, hi, I'm Hillary, I'm a moderate. And I am not in the middle on the issue of slavery. Ridiculous. I'm sorry, I got a little bit off track there, but looking at some of these critiques was really frustrating. Um, so just, I guess, back to how do we define a moderate? I don't think that there is an easy definition, honestly. I keep going back to this idea that being a moderate is more of a methodology than an ideology. It's a commitment to pragmatism focusing on practical approaches and solutions that would actually work and that take all groups into account, not just the one that agrees with you. It's a commitment to compromise, to seeking out the other side of the argument and seeing value in both. It's wanting to solve a problem more than you want to win an argument. All of that is just my opinion. What do you guys think? You listen to this podcast by choice. How come? 
Do you consider yourself a moderate, a centrist, or an independent? And if so, what does that mean to you? What do you think? Let me know. Email me at talk at moderatepartypodcast.com. My inbox is open to anybody that's not going to send me hate mail or try to intimidate me via Bible verse. That's it for me, guys. Today's episode is obviously a little bit different than what we normally do, but I hope that you enjoyed it. And if you did, please don't forget to subscribe and review the podcast anywhere that you're listening because it helps other people find the podcast. Being a moderate can be pretty socially isolating, so it helps if we get out there, spread the word, and build a community. We have a lot of cool episodes coming up, and I'm really excited to share them with you. But also remember that if there's a guest that you think I should be talking to or a topic that you think I should be talking about, email it to me, talk at moderatepartypodcast.com. I think that that's probably the one type of feedback that I don't really get from you guys. I hear a lot about what you thought about a particular episode or your views on what's going on in the news, but I don't hear a lot about topics that you'd like us to cover or people that you'd like us to talk to. So send those my way. And that's it. Stay safe and I'll talk to you next week. Bye, guys.